Welcome to the Fearless Mom Podcast, where our goal is to give practical tips and tools to help moms actually enjoy parenting. Whether you're watching or listening by yourself or you're with a group, we're just so glad that you've joined us. And remember, we never want to add to your already long to-do list. We just want to help you be intentional with what you're already doing. Okay, guys, we are so excited to have a special guest on the Fearless Mom podcast today. We have David Thomas from Nashville, and I'm, I'm really trying not to be starstruck today because we were introduced to David um, last year at the conference, and I was recommended um, to get in touch with him by Brandy Wilson, my good friend. And then when we had my friend Lisa Harper coming to the conference as well, and I texted her, I said, do you know David Thomas? You're from Nashville. What do you think? And she just could not stop talking about you. So David, I'm so excited that you're on our podcast today. I'd love for you to just tell our moms a little bit about who you are and what you do. I'd be happy to, but I want to say first to you that both Brandy and Lisa said to me, you are going to love her. And those words were a hundred percent true. And I am so honored you have me on this time. And it was, it was a genuine pleasure to be a part of that time. So excited that you would invite me back. So thank you. Thank you. And thank you for letting me be a part of our conversation today. In response to your question, I am a therapist and I'm currently the director of family counseling at Daystar in Nashville, where I've been for the last 23 years. And I'm incredibly grateful I've been able to spend all of those years in this space. We serve just the pediatric population, so children, adolescents, and their families. And the work that I do is primarily parent consultations, which are a lot like well visits with Uh a pediatrician. So if you think about when you go for a well visit, no one's sick, we're just checking in on growth and we're asking questions about where kids are in a particular season of development. And I love doing that work. I do that work with families here in Middle Tennessee, but around the country, around the globe. I've done work with families all over through Zoom and, and by phone, and I love being able to connect with parents in different places and just talk about what they're observing in a particular season with their kids. And then I also do a lot of our initial assessments. So when a family comes for their very first visit here at Daystar, I would welcome them and spend some time just talking about what the needs are and then looking at connecting them with one of my amazing colleagues. And I didn't mention, but the place where I do this work is really different than a lot of counseling centers in that we're in a house rather than an office building. And our offices look like living rooms. If you were to come through our front doors, there's a a great chance that your first encounter would be with a therapy dog before you'd even meet a person, which we think is a win. And they're probably the most sought after therapists in our practice. We're all, they, they get the most response for sure. They do. We're all aware we're in line behind them. I've laughed over the years and said, I'm 100% certain there are some kids here who aren't exactly sure what my name is, but they absolutely know my dog's name. So really grateful I get to be a part of this place. And in addition to the kids I work with here, I have three of my own. My oldest is a girl. She's a sophomore in college. And then about a year into her life, we got an enormous surprise finding out that we were having twins still recovering from that news 18 (laughs) years later. I have twin sons who are seniors in high school and I'm bananas about my kids. I really am so crazy about them. And, and they are primarily the people that they are because 
I had the wisdom in my 20s. God was incredibly generous to give me the wisdom to marry way out of my league, and I did, and married my amazing wife. We just celebrated 25 years together. 25 years. That is awesome. And three kids. Three kids. 25 years. And no small feet. No, it's not. And, and I'm acutely aware that she redefines better half for me. In fact, my dear friend who's a pastor, uh, he and I've walked together for decades now, and he's one of those friends who can absolutely tell you the truth and shoot straight with you in any given moment. And I was reflecting on my 25 years with Connie, and he said, hey, I do want to make sure you are aware that if you all were to ever get divorced, no one would side with you. <laughs> Ah, that's a good friend. That's a yeah, good friend. It is. He's like, everybody likes your wife better than you. And I'm like, oh, absolutely. I don't blame them either. <laughs> She's so a great woman. And I'm incredibly thankful to have shared this many years with her. So I, I want to make sure I don't forget if someone did want to do a consult with you, they don't have to live in Nashville. And how do they get in touch with you? They do not. And they would simply reach out to our office. They could jump on our website, daystarcounseling.com, or they could give a call to our front office and they'll walk them through the process of setting one of those up. And we could do that by Zoom or by phone. And I love being able to connect with parents, as I said, all over the globe. So we'll work with time zones and wherever you might live and find a match to make that work and would welcome that opportunity. Technology, I think, gets a bad rap sometimes and deservedly so. But this is one of the great things about it. The ability to yes. connect with people that otherwise you would not be able to. It's pretty amazing. Absolutely. And to help people that um, ordinarily wouldn't be able to get it. So I love that. And, and um, I, I definitely, we want to make sure that moms have um, that information. So thanks so much. Thanks so much for being here. I love how you said that you love where your children are right now. Um, we said technology gets a bad rap and so do teenagers. Yes. And if you're with mom, we always say, you know, our hashtag is don't fear the teen years. Hmm. And, and we love teenagers. We think they're amazing. And it, they are. it sounds like you have in your family, you, you guys feel the same way. We absolutely do. And, and I love the season where my kids are and, you know, for all of the hard parts. And I certainly want to acknowledge so many families have struggled greatly throughout this you pandemic bet. and you know being home together has magnified or put a spotlight on a lot of things that are hard and and my great hope too is that it also has offered some opportunity for connection and just sitting around the table for longer than we could in different seasons when activities were canceled or kids were home and and you know I, I said to my wife one day like what other circumstance would have brought a college aid kid college age kid home for this amount of time. I have loved my daughter being home. In fact, I was as teary when she left to go back this time as I think I was when she left the first time because I just have been enjoying her so much and love the amount of time I got in a, in a season that I was not expecting for that to be the case. So I love that that's part of your mission of encouraging parents who have kids in that season. I love it and I would echo that as well. I think, I think it's just so much about we have to figure out how to parent and connect differently. Yes, in that season. yes. we say parenting is a series of seasons yes. and a deluge of decisions. And so yes. that that understanding if you're in a difficult season, that it's a season and you're not the only one who's been in a difficult season. You can love your teenagers right now. And that doesn't mean that it was easy the entire time or that it's easy all the time. Right. 
it's really a mindset or as we say a perspective it's how you look at it because how you look at it changes how you feel about it changes how you deal with it for sure i could well, not agree more i you you mentioned the pandemic and it, it's it's offered opportunities for families to be together it's often um also offered opportunities for kids to grow in a lot of ways, but it has definitely presented challenges. And so I'd love to hear from you what you have seen with, with your clients, with your population, and then in your area and, and with, ever, you know, with the other moms and dads that you've talked to. What, what do you see as um, some of the things maybe moms could look for or um, what could we do to help our kids in this season? It's mm-hmm. a great question. And I was thinking as you were even asking that question, I loved when you talked about kids' growth. And Julie, I sat with a set of parents last week, and I loved what this dad said in our time together. He, they were here for their very first appointment, and he said, I really want to grow with him. That's what he said about his son. Like, I really want to grow with him. And I loved that language and that phrasing, and I think that's really what we all want to be about. And if to your question we've observed you know evidence of where our kids are struggling and and again that that the pandemic has put a spotlight on a lot of things maybe within our kids growth or maybe within our growth that the good news is we are all developing people and there is still room for growth my dad who is in his late 70s would say he is still growing and learning and i love that he says that with regularity because that's what we all want to be about throughout this <laughs> life this side of heaven and so as we're growing with our kids and you're seeing evidence my suspicion would be and I think some kids more than others have struggled with the lack of structure and consistency even kids who've been able to return to the classroom and it's interesting because we're seeing both sides here in my city we have two neighboring counties that are split by county line about 10 minutes from our office. So we see a lot of kids from one county where they've primarily been in school for the majority of the pandemic since returning. And then the county beyond Davidson County where my office is housed, those kids have still not returned to school. So we've seen both sides. And what we've seen is even kids who've been back in the classroom at any given moment, you could experience contact tracing and go back home or there could be a rise in the numbers. So there's been so much back and forth that kids have experienced to different degrees. And there are certain pockets of development where kids crave more. I think all throughout development, kids crave structure and sameness, but certain pockets where they crave even more. And I think the disruption in those things has for a lot of kids created excessive worry and anxiety because structure and rituals and routines provide a lot of safety for kids, particularly kids who bend toward excessive worry and anxiety, and they haven't had that in the same way. And even kids who struggle with some excessive sadness and depression, they benefit from those routines that kind of move them forward that they haven't had in the same ways. And then I would say the other places, I talk so much in my work with boys about how boys you know, physicality is so much of who they are. There's a lot of physicality to their emotion. They need movement as a foundational ingredient within their development. Adolescent boys need it as a release for the buildup of testosterone that happens throughout that time. And for boys to have had so many of their outdoor experiences, whether it's sports practices, just recess taken away has been an enormous struggle. And I've certainly seen the residual of that. So I have been talking with families about folding in movement experiences as much as possible. And I think 
I'd, I'd love your opinion on this, but I think there have definitely been some gifts that have come from this hard season, but I would say one has been, we've never been more intentional about outdoor time and movement because once upon a time, we think about the early stay at home orders, all we could do was go for a walk or a hike, like everything was closed. And so I think we've been more thoughtful in that space in ways that encourages me and I hope we carry it forward. I'd also say for as long as I have been working with parents and teaching to parents, I've been talking about that thing we all know, you know, it's back to the wisdom of the oxygen mask when we board a plane, like we cannot help the kids we love till we've got our mask on ourselves. And I don't think we've ever been thinking as strategically and intentionally about self-care as parents as we have in this season because we have been as desperate as we've been. And so those are two things I hope we take away when we're on the other side of this, whenever that may be, that we carry forward the, the wisdom of anchoring ourselves to the need for movement and the need for self-care on a whole new level. Yeah, I totally agree. I think also, and I would be curious about how you, what you've seen in this arena, but I believe people are more open to discussing feelings and emotions than they've ever been. And moms and dads are intentional about giving their kids the opportunity to share and building emotional vocabulary that I, I'm not sure we would have it benefited children 10 years ago. I just don't think it was as, um, as popular or as simple as easy. I don't know. What do you think about that? Oh, I couldn't agree with you more. And I, I think it is one of the best things that's come out of that. I wish there had been another circumstance that had moved us in that direction, but I'm thankful that it moved us there, whatever the circumstances. And I think you're right. I think the fact that we've been around the table for longer because we could, you know, we weren't rushing out the door to get to the next sports practice or extracurricular activity. Parents who traveled with their work couldn't travel for a period of time. And so we were, we've been home more than ever. And I think it has been an opportunity for kids to sit front row and parents to be honest. And obviously there are age appropriate ways to be transparent and vulnerable with our struggles, but it's invited us into talking more about that. I think in ways that I agree with you have benefited kids greatly and hopefully help them develop a more expansive emotional vocabulary. I think so. And I think the word I was looking for, I was saying, I was saying it's easier. It's simple. I think it's normalized it. Yes. We've normalized talking about how we're feeling and um, the more we can speak about that in a matter of fact tone with matter of fact um, vocabulary. We, we always say you look at your feelings without judgment or comparison. Just look at it with curiosity. And uh, I think we've been, um, we've been much more open to doing that. Perhaps we have um, removed some of those barriers. That's my prayer that that's one of the things that we carry um, from this time as well. I, I think it's interesting too. You mentioned that you speak with boys and you talk about boys, emotional development and what um, boys' emotions and feelings, how they manifest themselves and how they look different. Can you help us understand? And I think right now at the forefront of our minds are um, anxiety and depression. Yes. And so can, can you help us see what, what, what would that look like in a boy? What is mm. something that a mom should look for if, if, or notice or take note of? Yeah, I would say it's, it's really going back to the beginning first and reminding ourselves if you think about, I mentioned pediatric well visits, think about checking in with the pediatrician on the front side and where we're often 
or always ask, like, how many words are they saying? And we know from the get-go that boys, generally speaking, are going to speak fewer words. And that's likely going to translate over into boys are going to have a less developed emotional vocabulary. So with the sons we love, we're going to have to labor a little longer in that space on the front side. And that will continue to be true. Generally speaking, girls and adolescents are going to be able to articulate their experience a little more clearly. And boys are going to get a bit more roadblocked. And so I think going all the way back to the beginning to remind ourselves, okay, well, that was true in the beginning with the words they spoke. So, of course, that's going to be true with their emotional vocabulary. So, let's look at opportunities. You just talked about a great one of just sitting around the table and how we can have conversations. And I'm always quick to challenge dads in particular, like you are the, the male that he'll have a front row seat to looking at what does it look like for emotions to reside in the life of a man. And if dad's not present in the home, my challenge to moms would be just thinking about connecting him with as many other adult males, a grandfather, an uncle, close family, friends, where he just gets an opportunity to experience. This is what it looks like when a man talks about his experience in life, because to your question, he can get roadblocked a little more easily. And so it's a part of why adolescent males lead the statistics in more of that scary space of things like self-harm and suicide, where they can really get roadblocked to a point of, you know, distress because they've gone for long periods of time of bottling things up and reaching a place. One of the definitions I remember studying years ago when I was in grad school of suicide can be where a person begins to believe that their resources are in some way outnumbered by their despair, what they're experiencing. So they don't have as many resources they have to spare. And so connecting boys all along the way with a sense of you do have resources and you have the internal capacity to be able to talk more about what's going on inside of you. And that's good for every one of us as human beings. You're just going to have to practice a little bit harder at it. And so that's Big picture wise, what I think it looks like, I would also say, as you and I were talking a little bit about the season of, of adolescence, understandably, all teenagers are going to be spending a little more time in their room and wanting, understandably, to be more with their peers. I talk about the, I call it the changing of the peas, parents and peers, that it's, you know, a season where kids are naturally drawn more to their relationships with peers. It's not that they don't want or need relationship with parents, but our voices gets a bit quieter and the voices of peers gets louder. It's also a season where I really encourage parents to usher in other adult, healthy adult voices, youth pastors, coaches, teachers, other friends, parents whose voices will sound different and can speak some of the exact same truths that we're speaking, but it sound a little different. I laugh with parents and say, one of the mistakes that we can make with our kids in the adolescent years is that we talk more and we talk louder, <laughs> neither of which I think are effective, but we want to usher in those. It is. It's so easy to do, but we want to be not talking more, talking louder, but ushering in other adult voices. We say as therapists here at Daystar that often we're not just saying the same things that some parents are saying. We're saying the exact same things. We just happen to be a different voice that sounds different where they can hear it differently. And so I think that's a key piece where kids are getting truth from other sources in this season when they're needing it. Yeah. And you mentioned empowering kids with the the um, ability to see and feel that they do have the strength inside of them, particularly if they've stepped in a relationship with Christ and we know they have, you know, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, the power of the Holy Spirit resides in me. All of those things that we teach our children when they're young, 
we, yes. we teach them those scripture, you know, and we want them to um, memorize the scripture so that when they do get to that point, that um, that internal locus of control rather than the external locus of control that, you know, yes, my circumstances are out of my control right now. Uh, you know, I, I someone um, just uh, came up to the church a minute ago and said that her child is now quarantined again because he was exposed. He doesn't feel bad. He doesn't. Um, he hasn't had any symptoms or anything, but he could possibly get it eventually. So now he is home for 14 days. Well, that's frustrating. That is frightening. Um, and so teaching them that internal, yes, that you can't control your circumstance, but you do have the wherewithal to respond. Yes. And I think with boys, my experience is that when we step in to those places and even with some of that exact language you named, we're activating a part of how God hardwired them, a particular strength that I think already exists in them. Like boys yeah. are great problem solvers. Right. They're action oriented. And so it's like, let's work from those strengths. I, you know, with younger boys, I'll say, you know, I'll call it detective work. Sometimes you know, like boys love to do detective work. I'm like, let's do some detective work. Like, let's put, see if we can put some clues together. And I often frame emotional strengths like superhero powers because the highest percentage of boys I work with love the Marvel movies. And so it's like, let's, let's talk about those things like super. I'm, I'm like, you know, you have, you have a spidey sense about, you know, Spider-Man can walk into a room and he knows things that are happening before other people notice that. Like, I see that on you. How could we activate that more at that point? How could we use that for good? And so I really do want us, even to the example you shared, to be taking those opportunities when boys are roadblocked in some way or come up against different difficult circumstances to try to act or activate that problem-solving, action-oriented part of him in a way that helps him develop more of the emotional milestone that we call resourcefulness, which is really just taking the emotion to something constructive. And again, boys have some natural skills in that place. We just have to train them in that direction. You mentioned the milestones, and I believe those are in your book, um, Are My Kids on Track? You are correct. And it, it we, goes through all of the emotional milestones. Go, if you don't mind, just give a little summary. That, that book is awesome for Thank any state, no matter how old your child is. It's great for adults. Thank you for saying that. It felt really important to write. It, it, we cover within that book four emotional, four social, and four spiritual milestones that we want to see kids progressing toward throughout their development. And that's key because when we think about the physical milestones of walking and talking and all of those, you know, we want to see kids hit those at a, a very well-defined place within their development and growth. These are milestones kids are going to be working toward throughout their growth. No kid develops full empathy by the age of 10 or 12 right. or 14. So we define what they are, and then we jump from there and talk about the stumbling blocks. And we even go specific to gender, like what are some of the stumbling right. blocks boys face and girls face? And then what are the building blocks to help them develop? And then each chapter ends with 10 practical ideas of things you could be doing in the everyday in your home. And so the four emotional, the first is vocabulary, which we mentioned a little earlier, just developing what we in my profession call emotional literacy, just learning to identify what I'm feeling. And when my body is giving off signals, when it's sounding sirens, we talk a lot with kids about how, you know, bodies are like cars and there are lights that go off in our cars to warn us like, oh, the oil's low, the tire's a little low, like 
giving us signals of things we need to pay attention to in our bodies. God designed our bodies in ways that they do that. We just have to learn to pay attention to those right. things, not ignore those. And the second is it's so much about self-awareness. Yes. I talk a lot about that. It is. It's so key. It's so important that we're moving kids in that direction from the earliest moments of building that awareness and noticing those signs and signals the body's giving. The second milestone is the milestone of perspective. And it's a bit like the pain scale in the ER. If you've been to the ER lately, hopefully you haven't, but think back, you know, they've got the scale on the wall and I've got to be able to identify my pain so that the doctor can treat me accurately. And I need to know the difference between a two level pain and a 10 level pain. And the same is true with all events of life. Like I want to be able to identify that a one is losing my car keys and a 10 is losing a family member. And I don't want to respond to losing my car keys at a 10. So helping to helping kids develop a full scale. And we kind of walk you through how you do that. And then the third milestone is the one I mentioned a moment ago, the milestone of empathy and empathy is a well-researched foundational ingredient in all healthy interpersonal relationships. So parent to child, spouse to spouse, coworker to coworker, friend to friend, empathy is a game changer and learning to identify the needs and emotions in others and respond to those. And then the fourth is the one I mentioned briefly a moment ago, the milestone of resourcefulness, that taking the emotion to something constructive. And, and I would say, if I were going to give a cliff notes version of all four of those, like what's our objective? If we were to kind of water it down, it's helping the kids we love and teenagers we love identify what do I feel and what to do with it. And as simple as that sounds, Julie, we're seeing such evidence in our world of not just kids and adolescents who are struggling in that space, but grownups who need to go back and revisit some of those milestones who get really roadblocked in some of those places. So the book felt important to write and I'm, Super grateful we got an opportunity to, and that you would let me even talk about it today because I oh, do believe strongly in it. I, I do too. And I believe, as I said, I, whether you have children or not, that book was so great. It, we say self-awareness, others' awareness, and God-awareness. And it's basically, that. that's what you walked through. And I, mm -hmm. there was another counselor I was reading um, his book, and it, it was basically the same thing, how you look at yourself, how you look at others, and how you look at God. Yes. And it, it, it was just different ways of saying the same thing, but it's so critical and it sounds, um, it sounds so obvious, but the way you break it down, I, I loved it. I, I can't say enough about that. And I, you hit on a little bit about the resourcefulness. And I, I think you guys are, um, one of the things you do so intentionally is you give concrete tools that moms can empower their children to use. And one of the moms, when I told her that I was um, going to be talking with you, she said, we, we love the combat breathing that you guys uh, recommend. So I'm going to get you to explain that. But she said her son is really struggling. He, as we all know, um, once you work yourself up into anxiety and worry and panic, when you're trying to do math, it's not a good combo because he can't yeah. think logically with, you know, his right. there is no problem solving. And so for you to talk about resourcefulness and all of that, that's here when he, he's all, all of his um, thoughts and feelings right are, are in the back of his brain. Yes. You know? And so we, you know, we say from the amygdala to the prefrontal cortex, we're always saying, bring it to the front, bring it to the front. 
And so can you help us with a practical tool when, when you have a child who is already wound up in a tantrum um, and, and that's a two-year-old or a, you know, a 17-year-old yes. or, or PS, a 52-year-old. <laughs> and so can you help us with some practical right there? How, how, what, what would you tell someone or what would you tell the child? You know, and, and by the way, you empower with them, you, you empower them with these tools before they're in the midst of it. Yes, absolutely. Proactive. That's key. More That's than a dream. It's a way of life. That's what we think. Well, and let me say this too. I loved, I laughed with you when you made that comment about the ages. I 100% believe that's true. And I can't even tell you how often I've finished teaching a class and had someone approach me maybe at the book table afterwards and say, okay, what you shared will be super helpful for my son, but this is going to be a game changer in my marriage. And I was thinking as much about my husband as any, and I'm always like, well, great. Wherever it feels helpful, apply it. And you're right. It speaks to that reality that sometimes the first work we need to do is our work. We talk in the introduction of that book that we can only take the kids we love as far as we've gone in ourselves. So if you get really roadblocked with naming your feelings or figuring out how to take it to something constructive, that's where the work needs to start before we're going to be as equipped as we can be to take our kids on that journey. But you mentioned combat breathing and I love that you did because that's my starting point really with every boy. And there's just so much science behind the benefits of breathing to do that work of moving the blood flow from the amygdala back to the prefrontal cortex so that I can be in what we call our thinking brain. Again, I'm not in my emotional brain, but my thinking brain and breathing is a well-researched practice that gets us there quickly. And I'll talk about a second one in just a moment, but Sissy Goff, my colleague, who um, I know you're going to be talking with as well, she calls it square breathing often with girls. And I needed to give it a little twist to hopefully sell some boys I work with and adolescent young men on it. So I've done a lot of work with military families over the years and loved my work. And I've done some work with Navy SEALs and Rangers. And, And when I was teaching on this concept over a decade ago, one of them approached me and said, David, you know, we're required within our training to demonstrate that skill set, but we call it combat breathing. And I'm like, can I please borrow that? And he's like, that absolutely, so you can attractive. have it. Isn't it great? Definitely and so, more attractive to the 13-year-old boy. It is. And to know Navy SEALs are required to demonstrate it, yes. to be able to pass through their process. And so, you know, and we talk about that reality. These are folks who are going to have to make life and death decisions. So, of course, they've got to be in their thinking brain. But every one of us has got to get there in different moments of life. And so I walk them through a process of just doing some deep breathing. And I talk about beyond just the movement of blood flow, like what it's doing, you know, all these different fascinating things that happen in our bodies when we're emotionally charged, like my pupils are more dilated, the blood flow moves to my larger muscles, my heart is racing. So I've got to settle my body as part of that process, not just move that blood flow from front to back. And so we talk a lot about it with many boys going back to the Marvel experience. I talk about it like the Incredible Hulk. Like we all know what it looks like when he was Dr. Banner one moment and the Incredible Hulk another. And it's crazy destructive when he's green, but he was in his thinking brain over here. And so how do we get back to Dr. Banner? And so with that shared, the second place I'll take boys is talking about movement, which is back to something we discussed already. And I talk about how breathing and movement 
are the two quickest ways to accomplish the two, not just quickest, but easiest ways to accomplish that and connecting them also to that statement I made earlier of, you know, we have so much physicality to our emotion as males. So it's why toddler age boys in classroom settings are more prone to biting, hitting, kicking, screaming, throwing. It's why adolescent boys are a little more prone to punching a fist through drywall. Like we have this built up energy in us. That's not bad. It's part of how we're made. We've just got to learn how to channel it. And so I talk with boys who are athletes about that difference they feel in their bodies when they come off the field. Like, boy, every teenage boy I've ever worked with knows what it's like to come out of a stressful academic day to go into a sports practice, running, football, basketball, soccer, anything, and then come out on the other side after all that physical release and to feel different. And so we talk about how can you apply more of that to your every day in those moments. And my challenge to parents listening as you hear me say that is I think that's maybe one of the bigger traps we step into with boys in those moments when they're emotionally charged. Again, whether it's a toddler or a teenager, we try to do a lot of coaching and talking when he's emotionally charged and he's A, not in his thinking brain and B, may need nothing more than a physical release for a period of time to work through some of that intensity before he's ready to talk, before he can make connections, certainly before we would want to be executing any discipline that might be needed. I think sometimes parents start, again, not just lecturing, giving out discipline, and boys get even more amped up, and we start thinking it's not working, and it's not working because he's not in his thinking brain yet. And discipline, ultimately, with all kids, we want to be about learning. We want to be about helping them make connections. And if they're not in a physical state to be able to make connections, discipline is lost on them. So that two-step process, I think, is a game changer in the journey of parenting all kids, boys in particular. Yeah, I I love that. You mentioned it's toddlers and teenagers. And so for moms of toddlers and preschoolers um, that have kids with high energy, and what are some practical things, you know, going back to that resourcefulness that young men, even that young, can learn to employ and moms could begin, you know, being part of their structure when they see, hey, my kid is really climbing the walls today. What, what's something I can do? Because we want to set them up for a win. I don't want to yes. prepare the, you know, path for the child, but I do want to prepare the, you know, child for the path. So how... How can I equip that? As you said, it's a good thing. That energy, that zeal, we always say you you don't want to change them. You want to channel it. And so what's something that they can do with those kiddos? Yes. Two things that come to mind. One is I have a blueprint and are my kids on track? And, And if you're not as much a reader, our podcast, Raising Boys and Girls, has a season devoted to the milestones. And you could listen there and I explain it there as well but about creating what I call a space, an actual concrete space within your home where boys can go when they need to work through some emotion. And there's not a right or wrong way to set that up. I even love giving boys some freedom to name it. There are classrooms across the country that even create some of this kind of space. I have working with an elementary teacher right now, and she has what she calls the calm corner in her classroom. I work with another, she calls it the peace place. And it's where kids can go in the classroom for a few minutes, 
before time tests if they're feeling anxious and stressed and they've got some stress balls in those place or they might be able to sit on a medicine ball and roll for a few minutes whatever it may be that helps as part of that self-soothing process we can duplicate that in our homes and create some space and let boys there again activate that agency let them have some ownership in what do you think would help you? What do you want to put in that space? Let's put some big pillows maybe and you could scream into those or punch into those or that would be a safe place to throw those. Again, creating releases. And with adolescent boys, they may eventually outgrow an actual space and want to move that into activities that they understand. Like I have a lot of boys who go outside and shoot hoops or run sprints in their driveway, whatever it may be that becomes their space of release that I think again is so key and, and foundational. So I would say that's a really important starting point. The other th- challenge I would say, let's say to a mom of toddlers, I, I'd love to take credit for this, but I learned it from a mom over COVID. Here's a great example of where we're all learning to pivot. She was taking her son to a gymnastics class and a lot of our gyms in the city have jumped off the whole phenomena of American Ninja Warrior, knowing that yeah. so many boys love yeah. that show. And so they've created an American Ninja Warrior kind of experience. So if you go to gyms, it's these obstacles. And the mom said about two weeks into, you know, the shelter at home orders, when we couldn't go, I started seeing the residual of that with my young son. And she said, and he was having more meltdowns. He was more argumentative. And at one point she was putting him to bed and he was crying and he talked about, I just missed my class. He had a speech impediment. He said, my class, I just missed my class. And absolutely. And the mom, this wise, strategic, resourceful mom said, you know what? I can't take him there right now, but I could sure duplicate some of those things. So she went to work that night, (laughs) setting up stations in her house, in rooms. Well done, mom. Isn't that brilliant? I know she accessed the garage, just like I'm using any space I have. And so she created this little home version of American Ninja Warrior, and he had to crawl under the dining room table on his elbows. And I mean, it was fascinating, the things she came up with that involved nothing more than chairs and a sheet. And I just have such respect for parents who've thought through how they could create those kind of opportunities for kids to still have experiences, needed experiences in the midst of the limitations we're experiencing. Yeah, I've got, I, I, I don't want to monopolize your time. I'm going to hit you with, um, I, I just, these moms that um, everyone is, every mom I know is doing the best she can. Yes. Every mom I know is truly saying, how can I help my kids? And, and one mom I talked with, and, and so I want to give them as, you know, we want to get as much from you as possible while we have you, but one, uh, or actually I've heard this from multiple, but um, that, that upper elementary grade level, let's say that, you know, seven to 11 year old who um, shuts down when receiving correction and you can see it. And, and I, I believe it, it may be triggered by a personality type that may be a little more guarded and yes. uh, struggles with vulnerability. But you tell me, how can a mom, not just I want him to be able to articulate his feelings, but also we want them to be able to receive correction. And I don't mean just discipline. I'm talking about from a coach, from a teacher. Yes. You know what I mean? Those kiddos who just shut down or yes. they are hurt. And the response is shut down. We, you know, it, it, tell, talk a little bit about that. What do you recommend? 
I want to say first, as you were asking that question, I love the wisdom, the insight you shared that I would say is the starting point there of leaning into temperament. I'm such an advocate of that. I know I talked a little bit about that when I was with you all last time in intentional parenting that I don't think we can lean in enough to what's going on with our kids developmentally and understanding temperament, that there are certain kids who are more prone to that. And to know that I think is, is the gift of being able to steward the gift of them because yeah. we have that understanding. And as we said, awareness. So I think it starts there. And I would say, secondly, that young man might be experiencing some of what we talked about where he's not in his thinking brain. Boys go, the science would tell us boys go to shame a little more easily. Okay. And as a result of that, aren't in a posture to be able to receive, as you said, instruction or coaching or any of those things. So I would say even there is back to that equation of how can I help him release some of what he's experiencing internally right now through an external physical experience in a way that might better prepare him to get that feedback. What I'd also add to that list would be I talk a lot about talking with boys around a task and that creates a lot more safety for them. So I'll challenge moms, for example, hold your conversation until you're on a walk with the dog or hold your conversation until he goes outside and is shooting hoops and you could let him shoot hoops for about 15 minutes and then maybe go out and bring him a snack and then retrieve the ball. And it's amazing to me the things that boys will tell and talk about when they're not even aware that they're talking. In fact, we have behind the office where I am right now, we have a basketball goal and a four square court and a track where we walk the dogs. And you can't imagine how much of the work the male therapists who work with boys in this office do in that outdoor space, because we realize some of the best conversations we'll have with boys may not be in our offices, but outside. And the ones that do happen in our office are often happening around a Lego build. Yes. Or a game or activity, again, because we're talking around a task. I had a mom say to me years ago when I was teaching on that idea, she goes, it's almost like we're kind of tricking them into talking. And I said, oh, that's exactly what we're doing. <laughs> I said, you're <laughs> welcome to call it that. Yes. It's not almost like that. It is that. It is so like I that. Think, I think that's for adults too, though. Yes. I, I think some, and I, there's something about, and it, it's not that you're avoiding the other person, but it is more difficult, more vulnerable to look someone in the eye. Sure it it's is. It's okay if you're not there yet in this conversation and, and to walk side by side or to play side by side with Legos or, and to have the conversation without the eye contact is okay. It's a hundred percent. Okay. I think it's even better. Eye to eye for boys can really feel threatening at times and can actually shut them down more. So I'd avoid that tendency to say things like, look, you need to be looking me in the eyes right now. Or we're, there are obviously moments where that needs to happen, but know that if, if the objective is to get access, we could actually shut boys down more with that request than open them up. And can I throw out one other idea yeah, too? Do it. We're I love thinking about that, tricks that and strategies. So good. Yes. You know, I, I will often say to moms, and I think this is true with all boys, but particularly adolescent boys, that there is so much wisdom wrapped up in that age old saying of the way to a man's heart is through his stomach. And I always laugh and say, when all else fails, feed him, feed him, because it's amazing to me the things that will come out when boys don't aware they're talking because yeah. they're enjoying food so much. If you parked me in front of tacos and queso, like there's no <laughs> telling what I might share with you about my life. 
so great. But, you know, I tell moms that all the time. They'll say, you know, I want my house to be the place where teenagers go. And I said, well, it's not rocket science. You know, do you have queso? Do you have soft drink? Do you have chips? And I would tell people, you know, and I, like they can eat healthy at their houses. I will always have cookies. I will always have candy. I will always have whatever food. Um, and, but their parents were aware. I wasn't feeding them anything secretive. Um, sure. But we we did that. They always knew there was going to be food. And um, and the more I stood in the kitchen and made the paninis or made whatever, they never. Uh, they talked to me about everything. It was oh, like, yes. I, uh, I don't know. They didn't want to go in the other room because that's where the food was. And they just continued their conversations. I, I think sometimes we, um, we tell ourselves teenagers want to be by themselves. They want to pull away. They want to be independent. And, and I do think there's a, a, a gravitational pull there, a natural pull. But I also think sometimes they want to be treated like children in love. I said, mm. I put out Play-Doh for them. They would have played with it. I used to so serve great. the high school boys in the plates with the ears, you know, That's and I would so great. cut the apple and put the caramel in the ears. And Ms. Richard, will you please, you know, peel my clementine? I knew that 16 year old boy knew how to peel his own clementine, but there was something in them that safe place. And um, it's yes. like said, it was just, I was there, I was alongside. And when I was, they were much more open. Um, mm. And it, it, they're, they're mysterious, but not as mysterious as we'd like to act. Agree. Yeah, Agreed. Food, food, junk food. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> junk food. It's true. Uh, I mean, I do agree that it affects, and, and you have to be smart about it. But, you know, at my house, that is what they I love that's the way it happens at your house. And I think it's so wise. Well, um, the, the last thing I'm, I'm going to hit before we, we close out with our rapid fire. Um, okay. I wanted to ask you about, let's say we were talking about those teenagers and see most of those teenagers who came over to my house, um, you know, they, they were used to being at my house, but they may have acted completely differently at their own homes, which is totally normal. Totally normal. 100% normal. So let's say you have a teenager who is pulling away and is acting um, completely disinterested, uh, uninterested in family time. And really, it doesn't, the child who typically responded to um, negative consequences before with an apology and mom, I'm sorry, is now, it doesn't matter what consequences you give them. They are, um, they appear to be shutting down and completely Mm -hmm. uninterested uninterested and unfazed by, um, you know, any negative consequences, what would you tell a mom? I would say a few things. I would say first, that could be a circumstance where it might be helpful to have a thoughtful conversation, whether it's a pediatrician or in a, you know, consultation, kind of like we talked about on the front side, just to get some new and fresh ideas and also to put another set of eyes on a circumstance. Because the tricky part with teenagers is, you know, that is a period of time that's known by a lot of emotional intensity and biological shifts and hormonal surges. And so it can feel difficult to discern between what's just normal worry and anxiety, what is some intense sadness and what's depression. And so I think it can give parents a lot of peace of mind just to be able to ask some questions and and have uh, another 
set of eyes on it to say, that sounds normal. That sounds developmentally in line with what we might expect to see, or that sounds concerning. And here's some things we might want to do in response to that. So I think that's one thought I'd throw out. I would say, secondly, I think it's great when we name the shifts with boys, when we give it a name. And I think a lot of times we don't. And, you know, I talk a lot with parents about what's happening emotionally in that season of development and also what's happening relationally. And to give boys permission because what boys often don't say or, or don't know how to say is that it feels strange to them to be pulling away some from parents, particularly for moms that, you know, I talk about on the front side of development, moms are like the center of a boy's universe. She's like a planet that he's orbiting around. And as he moves through a very normal, healthy identity formation stage of his masculine journey, he's going to do some separating out. That doesn't mean he stops having a relationship, but to give that a name and for moms to be able to say like, buddy, I fully expect fully expect our relationship will start to look and feel different. It doesn't mean we stop having one. It just means we're going to talk about how that looks different and feels different. I I think that is a game changer and we shouldn't underestimate the freedom I think that gives boys. And, And, you know, even talking about the long goal of that, like the reason that happens is because I've been the primary female in your life. And at some point, you're going to have another primary female in your life that'll be your wife someday. And that's as it should be. That's how God intended for that process to take place. But even as I say that, I bet there's a lot of moms of younger boys out there saying, no, no, no. But we know that's, that's part of it. And, and giving that permission, I think, is, is needed and something we can miss at times. And then within that, we can start to define what those differences look like. Like, hey, you know what I'm not going to do anymore? I'm not going to ask you every single day when I pick you up from your freshman year in high school, how was your day? Because that probably feels like fourth grade stuff. So I want to talk about how I can check in on your life and we could still talk. And I think boys feel so honored in that, that sense of it's going to look different. No different than curfew is going to look different. And, you know, so many things are. And I want to give credit to, as I answer that, my dear friend, Sissy Goff, you're going to interview she and Melissa Trevath and my boss and our dear friend, the two of them wrote a book years ago called The Back Door to Your Teen's Heart. Yeah. And the first sentence of that book is my favorite sentence of the whole book. It says, to the degree that kids can predict you, they'll dismiss you. To the degree that kids can predict so you, they'll good. dismiss you. And I love that. And I think to say it in that way is that unpredictability. Like, you know what? You probably expect I'm going to pick you up in carpool every day and ask you, how was your day? What would you think if we just listen to music? or podcaster and why don't you pick what would you love to hear like I think just those little things can be so unpredictable and giving kids space to honor you've had a heavy academic day the last thing you may want to do is get in the car and stop talking you just may want to listen to some music close your eyes hey I brought you a snack here's a water bottle whatever it may be that is that unpredictability that I think is so needed and honoring with kids as they step into that season of development oh great that's so great gosh we, we appreciate so much your being here. I'm going to hit you with the rapid fire, but I want to make sure that all the um, moms and dads listening um, uh, know the website, daystarcounseling.com and also raisingboysandgirls.com and the podcast, yes. Raising Boys and Girls. And you guys, the, the lots of books, lots of books. And um, I, I, that, the, um, I can't, I can't stress enough how they are incredible resources and fearless mom approved. Uh, I, that's an understatement. We, 
we've, I use so much of their stuff as I'm studying to teach. And so um, thanks again for being here. We look forward to your being with us at the conference on February 27th. Going to do cannot um, wait. an interview. We're going to, oh, we've got lots, lots of topics that you guys are going to hit on. So, um, and then you'll be teaching sessions. And then David, you'll be at Lake Hills Church that Sunday as well. So I'm so excited. There's a chance that I may consume 25 tacos between that time. <laughs> so. If it's up to us, we're going to give you a taco tour. I love it. Tour. Okay. As we close out, um, rapid fire. Okay. No wrong. Okay. Rapid okay. fire. Here we go. Ready? ready? Beach or mountains? Beach. Burger or pizza? Burger. Rock or country? country you're in Nashville from Nashville yeah seriously that, you only had one right I love a little of both but I'm gonna lean toward country saver or spender much to my wife's dismay a spender <laughs> early bird or night owl early bird JT is that Justin Timberlake or James Taylor James Taylor <laughs> book or movie book Although Fast I love food. a good movie, but I'm oh, going to go yeah. with book. You're going to go with book? Okay. I'm going to go with book. I'm a reader. Look, you're doing good because you haven't said both to anything yet. Fast food or fine dining? Fine dining. Five minutes early or five minutes late? Sadly, five minutes late. Phone call or text? Text. Text. Look at that. And night mm. out or night in? Night in. Night Can you in. tell my age? Night in and fine dining, though. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. I actually, we love to cook meals in my home. And can I say that's another thing to look forward to when you have young adult kids, that they kind of get into it at that yes, point in life differently. And it's so fun. That was probably our favorite pastime throughout COVID. We cooked together, all five of us, more meals than we've ever done at any other point in our life. We launched fajita night. We did fajitas every week. We did these huge breakfasts on Sunday mornings before online church. And yeah, I love to cook Amazing. long meals with my kids. I love it. Well, thank you so much again for your time. We appreciate it more than you know. And again, moms, get out there, get those resources um, and register for the conference. So thanks so much. I am so thankful to be with you. Thank you for having me. We're so glad you joined us today. You can get more resources and information at fearlessmom.com.